Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 481 being recorded on the 18th of December, 2023. Uh, today, it's uh, Kale and myself, and we're going to talk about uh, the AKS Fleet Manager, which is a new service that uh, the AKS team announced. And I think it's interesting for our enterprise customers that are using Kubernetes. So we thought we should dive into it before the year ends up here. And uh, But before that, let's just get into some news. Uh, Kale, uh, Kale, I believe you had uh, an item to talk about. Uh, yeah, the one I want to talk about is, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about custom silicone. Uh, we, I think we talked about that as part of Ignite, you know, some of the custom silicon that Microsoft's working on. But along with that, uh, there's a GA announcement for uh, if you're working on Azure Functions to support the um, Apple Silicon Max. Um, so these are basically the, uh, the M processors from Apple. Um, and basically what this allows you to do, this is a GA for Node.js. .NET, Python, PowerShell, and Java. Um, so when you're writing your Azure Functions, the local dev environment, if you're using uh, one of those new Macs, uh, there is support for that now that's in GA. So um, should be great. Awesome. Uh, I had a couple of updates, uh, a few of them related to databases in Azure. Uh, the first of, first of them is the MySQL uh, database. So uh, MySQL now has the option of using faster storage for the transaction logs. And what that means is that it's less overhead because transaction logs are very important for the database to make sure that all of the uh, writes are being stored somewhere so they can be replicated out or used for recovery purposes if required. And uh, that typically tends to be an overhead because it's done synchronously. And now you can do these transaction logs uh, you know, a, a lot faster and therefore the kind of throughput of the server will improve. So that's uh, one update that's in public preview. Uh, the other one is for PostgreSQL, which is one of my uh, favorite databases these days because a lot of my customers tend to use it. And so the flexible server uh, SKU now has the disaster recovery feature uh, features available. And the way they do that is, of course, you can deploy to multiple regions, but then you uh, have something called the virtual endpoint. Right? So you're connecting it to not through individual servers, but to a virtual endpoint. And then you kind of just have to change uh, through a command. You can say, OK, this is my primary. That's my backup or vice versa. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, the applications just continue working like as if nothing happened. So so that's uh, uh, that's a new feature in PostgreSQL, also in public preview. And finally, uh, Oracle and Microsoft have announced uh, uh, a nice uh, partnership where the Oracle uh, infrastructure is actually hosted inside. So the Oracle uh, data center is hosted inside of a Microsoft Azure data center. And so you have all of that uh, support from Oracle in terms of their how, how they would deploy an Oracle database, but it's completely inside of the Microsoft Azure, so you can access it from Azure as, as well. So that's uh, that's also generally available now. So certainly look forward to that if you're using Oracle. I think uh, that's it, right? Anything else you want to talk about, Kel? No, I think that's it. We can get into Fleet Manager. All right, let's talk about that. Cool. 
Yeah, so this was an interesting one. Uh, I think uh, you know we've had a number of discussions about uh, about AKS in general, right, over the uh, over the years on this podcast, and it's uh, it's pretty clear that you know Kubernetes and AKS have become very popular. Our customers are using it more and more, uh, just because of the advantage of kind of. Uh, consolidating all their uh, de- application deployments and development under that one umbrella. But <clears throat> just as the number of AKS clusters or Kubernetes clusters is increasing for the customer, the headache to manage them <laughs> is also increasing, right? <clears throat> and so this is, uh, so there are a number of solutions that have come into play to help manage uh, the sprawl of, a- of Kubernetes clusters. And the AKS Fleet Manager is uh, one feature that Azure has introduced to help with that uh, that kind of sprawl. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> one of the things when uh, you think about uh, why uh, Fleet Manager is, is kind of required, because an AKS cluster, as you know, can scale up, right? You can add number of nodes, and in some cases, you can go to hundreds of nodes, right? You're just limited by the number of IP addresses that you can can allocate to that cluster. Uh, you could say, okay, you know, I can have a really large cluster, and so what's there to manage, right? I'm only managing one cluster. <clears throat> uh, but most customers, uh, you know, don't uh, use AKS in that large-scale manner. Uh, they'll typically have, uh, you know, regional deployments of AKS. So obviously, in different regions for load balancing and also for, I'm sorry, for uh, for regional uh, availability as well as uh, for um, for for lower latency to specific regions, right? If you want to serve customers in that region, so so that's another re- reason why you would uh, kind of spread those clusters out. Uh, you also want to have maybe, um, uh, you know, a dev. QA and prod cluster, right? You know how people like to kind of segregate that out. And finally, there are some workloads that are just too sensitive to be shared with others, right? You want your own cluster, it's completely isolated, uh, and you don't want, um, you know, anybody else on it. So there's all these reasons why, you know, you have like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of clusters, right? Uh, That are kind of lying all over the place. So that's kind of uh, one of the reasons why Things like Fleet Manager and other tools for managing number of um, uh, AKS clusters or Kubernetes clusters has come about. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say, Sajid, is like uh, customers I've spoken to and some partners, they were interested, and I wonder if this solves the problem of saying, hey, I have, um, you know, inside AKS cluster, basically we have some node pools that are servicing some different services that are being exposed there. But then they uh, have like a single load balancer. It seems like there's some like ways to do like annotations and things like that to kind of influence how AKS provisions some load balancers. But at the end of the day, um, they had, some of these partners ended up spinning up multiple clusters because they wanted these dedicated endpoints for each one of those kind of things. And then they had something sitting on top of that. Um, and but then you know as they came back they said you know the pain there now is going to be like I got all these clusters I have to maintain out here how do I do it so this I think this seems like a perfect fit for that type of scenario you know yeah yeah and, and you know some of the, 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 the when you talk about management problems right they fall into two categories generally maybe three but let's start with the first two which is uh, you know just keeping the infrastructure up to date right I think from compliance and security perspective you want to make sure that you're you're on the correct version of Kubernetes, right? Uh, because Kubernetes, as you know, is something that keeps uh, getting uh, worked on and there's new versions coming out. 
uh, you either have security patches in those new versions or you just want to take advantage of new features, new custom resources, et cetera, that are coming out. So that's kind of one uh, problem where we're you know, keeping the Kubernetes version up to date. And then the other problem, which most specific to AKS is you know, the version of the uh, the node image, right? So when you boot up um, a, a, a node, it uses a specific um, uh, disk image and you want to make sure that that disk image is the latest that's available, right? Has all the security fixes, uh, et cetera, to support uh, that Kubernetes cluster. So that's one kind of problem is, you know, how do you make sure that all your clusters in your environment are at the correct Kubernetes level and at the correct node image level, right? Which your security and compliance folks have signed up signed off on. So that's that's kind of one of the the, the main uh, reasons why that management becomes a challenge because you have this sprawl otherwise, and you know you're worried that you're uh, going to be uh, susceptible to some sort of an attack. You know, uh, the second uh, the second um, the problem that they have is just the number of uh, you know, applications that are deployed on your Kubernetes clusters now, right? Again, you know, managing that across at scale is becoming difficult. Uh, so if you do have, uh, you know, multiple um, uh, clusters, let's say you have uh, you know, multiple dev clusters, QA clusters, production clusters, whatever, and you want to make sure that, you know, the there are some things that should be there across all of them. Maybe they should all have, uh, let's say, a specific daemon set, you know, which, uh, is con which, which does some sort of logging or monitoring in your system or, uh, they all should have uh, some workload, some application, some service. Uh, how do you do that? How do you make sure that all of them have it, right? Uh, so that's the other problem is that you want to make sure that there's consistency across all of the uh, clusters from an application and workload perspective. Uh, so those are the two primary reasons. But the third one, like uh, like you mentioned earlier, Kale, is then you know how do you load balance across some of these clusters. If these clusters are going to share the same application and you want to make sure that they uh, you know, they load balance across uh, clusters, you need a solution for that too. So these are the three uh, problems that the fleet manager is trying to solve, okay? Uh, that That's kind of where it all starts uh, in terms of the problem space. Oh, on the update piece, if you could drill into that for a second, like one detailed question I had there was around, uh, it's great to say we we want to we have a single pane of glass to manage all these AKS clusters and make sure those you know the node images and the Kubernetes version are up to date and these kind of things. But a lot of times we want to do like kind of blue green testing or we don't want to like just immediately upgrade everything, right? We would say, hey, let's do dev first, make sure everything's cool, and then we'll go up through those. So I assume is that true that like Fleet Manager allows you to kind of manage that it's not just like turn on auto updates it's more like no no i i actually have controls here about like controlling what's there but it's actually showing me like what's going on you know absolutely yeah and so that's a good point so that's this is the resource propagation uh feature that you're talking about right where you, you want to make sure your application that are deployed in are deployed to specific clusters right now uh, like you said your fleet right could contain thousands of clusters let's say right uh, it doesn't mean that the same app, all of them are going to get the same application, right? They, they got, you want to segment them. And that's a good point, good, good call out. So when you create these uh, resources, uh, they're called cluster resource placement resources. That's what they call them, right? So when you create a cluster resource placement, you, you first tell it, okay, I want this namespace to be uh, rolled out, right? And then the second part you have to tell it is, you know, what is the policy to roll it out? Who gets it? 
right? And here you can provide different things. You could say, I want to use uh, label selectors, for example. You know, when you roll out uh, AKS clusters, you provide labels. Maybe there's a label called tier is equal to production or application is equal to blah or whatever it may be the case, right? So you can use mix and match those labels to create these groups of deployments. So you can say this, uh, this uh, resource group it gets deployed to you know all of the production clusters right or that resource group goes all to the dev production dev clusters and so on and so forth so there's there's ways that you can target different groups of clusters and you can create those groupings and what the resource propagation feature does it has the the scheduler which is part of it which will kind of come in and uh, in in a in, in a batch mechanism, it will try to update all of the various uh, clusters without uh, without impacting them, with minimizing the kind of uh, you know workload impact that that may have. Uh, so the application can still keep running, but then slowly over time, the, these uh, clusters will be updated to the next version if that's the case. Yeah, long and, with uh, that, you you mentioned. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it's not just applications. So uh, I said application, but applications include things like, uh, you know, all sorts of AK, uh, Kubernetes resources, right? They could be services, uh, secrets, whatever, you know, anything else. Anything that's in a specific namespace in, in the Kubernetes cluster can be pushed out. Yeah, so maybe you could talk a little bit more about the, um, you kind of mentioned there's a relationship between like Fleet Manager and these AKS clusters. I guess the question I have is like, what what is that? Do these AKS clusters even know they're being managed or are they just receiving commands just like if they were a Kubernetes cluster and you were sending commands to them? Um, is, is there something, an agent or is there something that happens over there, you know? Uh, that's that's a really good question. So when you uh, obviously everyone's already got like all these Kubernetes clusters already there, right? So you you're starting off from a place where you have these many Kubernetes clusters. Now, when you create a fleet manager resource in, in Azure, right? There's two ways to create it. If all you're interested in is the update orchestration, in other words, keeping the the Kubernetes uh, version and the node pool node uh, pool image up to date, so that's called the update orchestration. If all you're interested in, in that, then you just create uh, uh, an a, an a, AKS fleet manager resource in Azure. You don't need anything else other than that resource in Azure. And then you can, uh, once you have that, you can define uh, groups of clusters. Uh, you, know, you could do like a set of dev clusters first, update the node pool versions there, make sure they work correctly, then do the QA production, whatever. So that's just update. Uh, that's just update orchestration. Right? But when you um, when you onboard all these AKS clusters into that fleet, right? That's what you're asking. What happens? So where what happens over there is certain uh, custom resources are created in all of the member clusters, okay? And also each of the member clusters uh, will ha will uh, have a reserved namespace created in them in Kubernetes, okay? Nobody else is allowed to touch that namespace except for the controllers that are deployed. So along with the custom resources, there's also a controller deployed to each of the member services. The member services have now this, you know, uh, new uh, namespace, new uh, custom resources, and new controllers. This controller. So that's kind of the mechanism, how it does it through that, uh, through that uh, uh, namespace, that custom namespace, they use that as a way to talk to the fleet, the fleet manager itself. Okay, and this is uh, the the primary use case is for update management only. Okay, now if you want to use it for um, for for resource 
uh, propagation and for network load balancing, multi-cluster load balancing, which is there are two other features. Uh, then you need uh, a small cluster created for the hub as well. So the fleet manager is not just an Azure resource, it also creates a small AKS hub, uh, cluster, hub cluster to, that goes along with it. And the reason for that is the way resource propagation works is, uh, Kale, is that you actually define your resources that you want to propagate in the hub cluster, and then that gets propagated to all of the member clusters, right, as, as per your definition of the policy. And so that's kind of why you need that uh, that hub cluster, just so that you have a place where you can define those uh, resources that you wish to deploy or roll out. Uh, so for that, in that scenario, you need to have the uh, the hub cluster there as well, and it just creates a small AKS cluster really, which is used mostly for control plane uh, operation. It's not something that's used on an ongoing basis as such, right? Uh, I mean, it is used somewhat for an ongoing basis. Um, and one of the things that it does, uh, the what the fleet manager does is, let's say you you onboarded five clusters onto the onto your fleet. And uh, one of them, you want to remove it out. So you can create an operation to remove it out, in which case the fleet manager uh, you know, has to mark that as we're going to remove that cluster, right? So that's one reason why it needs to know that. If you add a new cluster and that cluster falls within the, the realm of the number of clusters that are under management, like maybe the label is production and you're managing all production servers, all clusters, then it's going to make sure that that new cluster gets all of the new all of the resources that the other cluster has, right? So there are some reasons why that ongoing update will happen, but there it's not something that is uh, used uh, consistently when you're accessing the application or anything like that. That does that hub cluster is just a small cluster used for these uh, control plane operations. That's awesome. So it sounds like basically it supports both models of, hey, I got Greenfield here. I know these. I'm going to need a bunch of clusters, so I can use start with Fleet Manager, have it go do my stuff, everything's cool, or I already have my clusters and now I want to get them under control, and then I can use it that way. So good does both. That's cool. Yep, exactly. And there's a new easy fleet command in the easy CLI, which uh, supports most of these operations. You can do some of it from the portal, but I, from, but from my own experimentation, most of it is available through the easy fleet command. Uh, I strongly recommend you get to know that. What about uh, like in terms of pricing? Uh, does it cost people to use Fleet Manager? Obviously, uh, you mentioned two different ways to run Fleet Manager. One of them is going to run an AKS cluster that's small. I, I got to assume there would be a cost there because there's a node running or something. But um, if you do the other one, like, is there an additional cost for Fleet Manager? I don't know. I, I don't know if they're talking costs yet because this is still a preview service. Uh, but gotcha. I'm sure there'll gotcha. be okay. yeah, there may be some some minor costs uh, later on. Uh, uh, like you know, I expect that uh, you know uh, most of the costs are going to be as you said in that hub cluster that you have uh, deployed there. Uh, actually, running this is just a matter of some additional CRDs. In fact, uh, it's a good point you mentioned that the the one feature for the resource propagation, right, uh, where you can you say you can define a bunch of uh, resources in your hub cluster and have them automatically deployed out, uh, rolled out, uh, is uh, also available in the open source. So that's an open source project called a um, uh, Azure Fleet, right? So under Azure slash Fleet, if you go to GitHub, uh, you'll see all those. And so you can deploy that to any Kubernetes environment. So because that feature is just something about Kubernetes resources being rolled out, right? It's not tied to a specific cloud provider, 
right? So it's nothing Azure specific or GCP specific or AWS specific in that feature. So anybody that has a, a Kubernetes cluster or a bunch of Kubernetes clusters, and you want to ensure that all of them are getting consistent resources deployed, you can you can do that by yourself. Uh, but Azure is providing like a like a more like a convenient way of doing this, right? Uh, instead of you having to kind of uh, install uh, Helm charts and whatnot in all the you know all your clusters and whatnot manually, uh, it kind of does it for you. I guess one thing we didn't cover. Um, I was thinking about was the security aspect. So when you you have existing clusters, right, and then you bring one of these fleet managers, you fire it up. How does that authenticate? Is it do you have to create like a service principle, or is there like a secret or something, or how's that? You know, like how's that work? Yeah, so it creates all these. Uh, so, like I mentioned, you know, the uh, special uh, reserve namespace is kind of like a communication channel, right, mm -hmm. between all those clusters, and so it's creating these uh, special users, cluster role bindings. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, the and then the controllers are the only ones that have access to that uh, reserve namespace. And the reserve namespace essentially contains a bunch of Kubernetes configuration objects, right? So, you know, Kubernetes, you, you can create configuration objects. And so they, they use these config objects as a way of, you know, saying, okay, this is where I'm at. Uh, let me see where you're at. And then they can kind of read each other's information gotcha. and make sure everybody's synchronized, right? Uh, this is um, particularly important when you use the um, the load balancing feature, right? The multi-cluster load balancing feature. And this is uh, a feature where you could do a level four or layer four uh, load balancing, like a TCP load balancing across multiple clusters. The main reason for that being, you know, if you have um, a cluster in one region and a cluster in another region for disaster recovery, for example, or maybe you have clusters in some regions because you want to be closer to where the customers are in that region, uh, you want to be able to load balance sometimes across them. Uh, and uh, and you know in order to do that, uh, there's a lot of communication that happens between the hub cluster and the member clusters, right? So that's this is where that that communication really comes into play. <clears throat> Sounds cool. Yeah, I think that's super cool too that it's like um, can go across regions, right? Because that's a pretty powerful thing to be able to manage, you know, across there. And I know we kind of glossed over that at the start, or you mentioned a little bit about it, but that's pretty powerful, you know. Yeah, I think that that's the and, and again, that's one of those features that does require the hub cluster, obviously, because it's very specific to Azure. One of the kind of requirements of that feature is that all your clusters, your AKS clusters, must use Azure CNI as a networking uh, layer, right? As you know, uh, AKS can be deployed with KubeNet or with Azure CNI. There are other uh, 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 CNI uh, implementations as well that are available. Uh, but it needs at least it needs Azure CNI because every IP address over every pod uh, that's deployed has to be on the VNet so that the uh, so that we can load balance across all the pods, right? That's the whole idea uh, is that now all the pods across all the clusters become one gigantic pool of pods. And then the, uh, you know, this new, um, this new form of uh, load balancing across clusters will make sure that all the pods across uh, regions uh, get uh, equal um, you kind of equal uh, access, you know, and they kind of are load balanced over there. there. There is one kind of the kind of nuance uh, or, or interesting point when you set that up, uh, Kale. Uh, 
And the way that it works is when you create, uh, you, you just create, let's say you create an application in Kubernetes. You know, if you create an application in Kubernetes, you just have to create the uh, deployment for the application and you create a service, right? That's typically what you do. And, you, you know, you can access that service, uh, uh, that application on a specific uh, port, for example. Uh, now, on top of that, right, you have to uh, create this uh, service export. You, you also deploy a service export, okay? Uh, and you can do that in the hub cluster, let the resource propagation uh, propagate it out. Now, all your member clusters uh, have this application up and running, and they but they they don't know about each other at this point, right? They just know that each one of them has their own uh, application and service endpoints that are running. And now the next step, which makes it all interesting, is that you go to one of the member clusters and you say, I want to create uh, this service import feature in this. It's called service import. And so what's that, that, that's going to take is going to take the service that's already running on that cluster and make it available so all the other clusters also see it as one whole cluster. Now, what, what it does is it takes the uh, load balancer that was currently servicing that cluster and reconfigures the load balancer to work across all the clusters. So that's kind of the uh, the process for making this uh, available across clusters. That same load balancer, which was currently servicing cluster one, for example, and, and that's where you deployed your service import, uh, is now going to be reconfigured to support all of the clusters in your uh, in your fleet or in that target fleet. So that's kind of how that works. Once you set that up, uh, then uh, you know the uh, the endpoint that you have will just load balance across uh, all the clusters in your fleet. Uh, there were a couple of kind of uh, you know gotchas, I would say, not really gotchas, but they're working on a few things. I mentioned about the regional failover. One of the things is that the fleet manager itself does not support regional failover yet, right? So that's still. Uh, uh, a potential uh, breaking point. Although it's less of a problem, like I said earlier, that's primarily a control plane operation. Once the uh, in the in the case where you did the uh, um, the layer four load balancing, once the ILB has or the load balancer has been configured, the fleet manager cluster is kind of out of the picture. Right now, it's uh, it's just normal uh, uh, load balancing that happens. Uh, so, but in case that uh, region goes down, you won't be able to make any changes to the existing uh, uh, setup until the region comes back up. So currently that is a limitation. The fleet manager resource itself is a regional resource. Uh, they're working on uh, making it multi-region. And the other question that does come up is, you know, is Azure Arc uh, supported? And currently they're working on that. It's not yet supported, but they are hoping to kind of add that on soon. Nice. Good. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, Kate. Thanks for all the questions. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, Find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.